Michigan State University, the World Chess Federation, and Black History in Florida. This ain't your mama's podcast. It's the Chico Demanwell Show. Let's get it. I ranted about this shit in the after hours segment I put on the Facebook page last night, but I, um, I would like to elaborate on it a little more. Not that I need to, just because it's just something I'm getting sick of. It's another thing that needs to go right now. And, uh, it's just, it's just patently stupid. It's this whole fat phobia wave, like this whole, everybody is like, oh my God, you're discriminating against fat people and fat people and fat people. Like, We've gotten to the point to where these people are treating being obese, being overweight as some, as tantamount to racism and discrimination. Now, to just touch on discrimination briefly, like anybody who knows anything about discrimination knows that like we discriminate every day. Like me, I can't buy a pair of shoes that's a size nine or a 10. So yeah, I'm discriminating against smaller shoes because I wear a size 12. Discrimination is not inherently a negative thing. Like discrimination is something used to sort things out. Sometimes you need to make a an authoritative decision, which means you're going to have to exclude some people because everything isn't applicable for everybody. And this is something that's like been known. This is something that's been well understood just in society in general. Like you got to discriminate, but people have been so enabled when they hear the word discriminate, then now they think every fucking thing that, that, that excludes them from participating in something is discrimination because they feel all things should be available to all people. And no, I don't think all things should be available to all people. I think some things should be available to all people, like, you know, health care, like, you know, clean water to drink, some form of shelter and to some degree, like, you know, some way to acquire sustenance so you can survive. I believe things like that should be available to all people, naturally. But everything cannot be available to all people for, because, for one, everything isn't everywhere. And two, that's just how the world works. Like, everybody can't have everything. These people who live in this delusion of grandeur, of, like, equality for all. Like, everybody should have everything. Anybody should be able to play any sport they want. Anybody should be able to walk anywhere they want. Anybody should be able to say anything they want to say without any consequence whatsoever. Unless you say something I don't like, then there are going to be consequences. Like, no, this fat phobia shit is not real. Fat phobia is not real. These fucking puds running around here talking about phobia this and phobia that. Oh, you're a transphobe. You're a fat phobe. Blah, 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 phobia this. So let me let me deviate real quick. Let's just look up what the fuck a phobia is for all you uh, scholars out there that don't know. I'm just going to go to Google and type in what is a phobia. Oop, phobua. That's not it. Phobia. A phobia is an anxiety disorder defined by a persistent and excessive fear of an object or situation. Phobias typically result in a rapid onset of fear and are usually present for more than six months. So 
Based on that definition, I'm going to pull this back up. Based on that definition, so you're telling me when I see a fat person, I experience anxiety, persistent and excessive fear. What? And then also says fear of an object or situation. Why am I afraid of your weight? Why does you being fat scare me at all? Why does you being trans scare me at all? I'm not scared of this. I'm not worried about this shit in the least bit. But if I express any kind of disinterest or any conflicting viewpoint in regards to being fat, now you're going to walk around and say, oh, you're just doing that because you're scared. Like, that's the most juvenile baiting tactic that's been used since forever. Like, in the schoolhouse, a kid wants another kid to come up. Well, you ain't going to fight. You a chicken? Like, you know. But now when I'm saying, like, Ugh, I don't want to date you because you're 372 pounds. You don't want to let me because you're scared? What? No! I don't want to date you because you're unattractive and you're heavy. And from a biological evolutionary perspective, weight is not a good look. Like men are attracted to curvy women with bodies that would that, that lead them to believe that you have the, the highest likelihood of providing me with uh what? Healthy children. Like you have a healthy body, so therefore you like you are in the best physical shape to give me the best possible chance to have the best possible offspring. And that's hardwired in. I don't give a fuck how far technology advances. I don't give a fuck how far civilization advances. This is hardwired into our brains. Okay? We're just designed to be this way. If this wasn't the case, fat phobia wouldn't exist because people would see your fat body and it wouldn't trigger anything in their minds to turn them off to you. Fat phobia. No, no, it's just not real. And I'm tired of hearing it. I'm tired of it being passed around as if it's an actual thing. Like, I've heard obese people say that the airlines, you know, because if a fat person tries to catch a flight somewhere and they cannot fit in one seat, they have to purchase a second one or a third one, depending or not fly at all, depending on how fat they are. Okay? So, like, they're saying they feel like the airlines should give them extra seats. Like, the airline should 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 capitulate to you because you're fat and you don't like how you don't like how people make you feel about yourself and i hate that this is necessary i gotta put in these disclaimers like oh yeah i'm sure there's some there's some long fat person out there in uh in good hue minnesota or some random ass uh one horse town that you never fucking heard of before I guarantee it's somebody out there who's probably not fat because they eat too much. Maybe there's genetics or maybe they got some kind of health condition, like some type of adrenal gland, something, you know, just something besides them shoveling food down their face nonstop for a lot longer than they should be. You know, I'm sure that person always exists. However, that is an exception. These people love to use exceptions as rules to an argument. And that is not that 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 doesn't bail you out. Like. The problem comes in, same with the whole transphobe, is when you expect my sympathy, you expect me to have sympathy for a situation that you're in, and when that does not land, now you insist there's a problem with me because I don't feel sorry for you because you're fat, because you're trans, and like so many trans people are killing themselves because they're not accepted. Well, what the fuck? That's like going to a restaurant that doesn't accept Discover, they don't accept Discover cards, and then you're like, well, Discover's, I don't have any cash. I have a Discover card. Why don't you take Discover? Are you, are you a Discover phobe? Are you afraid of discovering things? You know, no, you're just a Discover phobe, and I'm going to take my business elsewhere because you, they, no, you can't get mad at the restaurant because they don't t- take Discover. They want to take Discover, they would they take Discover, but they don't. So that's your problem. Whatever problem that the restaurant has from not taking Discover, they deal with it. You are the person in denial. You are the person that is sitting around acting like, Everybody has to accept your life decisions when they affect other people. Ain't no goddamn thing. Ain't no such thing as fat phobia. There's no such thing as transphobia. These are buzzwords that have been popularized and, and propagandized by mainstream media and all these TikTok authoritarian, all these TikTok authorities who can make a 30 second video and all of a sudden they know better than you. All the shit they say is based on no evidence. 
is just based on some some over-examined feeling about their own insecurities. Like, yeah, we get it. You feel bad because you look bad. I understand that. Andrew Tate said it best. Like, you're not, you're, you're not depressed because your life sucks. Your life sucks, and that's why you are depressed. Like, the depression is a result of your body telling you, hey, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I could be doing better than this, and I'm not. Some of the decisions that I'm making are affecting me negatively for more for a short to long-term basis. So that's why you feel these feelings of depression, because this is your body trying to snap you out of this shit. Say, hey, wake up. You feel like shit because you are shit. Take a shit. Stop eating so much. Take less shits. Like, I'm just tired of hearing a fat phobia in particular. Like, fat phobia, like, it does, people are, I've heard people actually compare being fat to, like, being black. What? Being fat is like being black. How? How? Where? This shit doesn't make any sense. Just like in the video I put on After Hours last night, these people are trying to say that systemic racism and systemic fat phobia are synonymous somehow, and they're not. Nobody chose to be black. Everybody didn't choose to be fat, but a lot of people did. I would say the vast majority of people who are overweight are fat, because if you go to countries where there are famine, when there's food shortage, you don't see overweight people. You see emaciated, bone-thin individuals that are desperate to eat something, you know? So like this whole fat phobia trend, I'm sick of this shit. I don't give a fuck about fat phobia. If what I'm saying makes me a fat phobe, guess what? I'm a fat phobe. And as I also said in After Hours, like if I was to be in like a gym or I'm just sitting on a porch and I see a heavy person jogging, sweating their ass off, they look like they're about to collapse, but they're, they, they're going through the, the pain, they're putting in the work, I would never ridicule that person. Because I don't stand to gain anything. Like, if I'm going to not give a fuck about fat phobia, when I see a person actually trying to put in the work and do something about it, how the fuck could I ridicule that person? That doesn't make any sense at all. It's actually unfair and it's actually wrong. But these people aren't doing that. They're sitting in their fat fucking rocking chairs, stuffing hamburgers and calories down their fucking throat constantly. And then when, they, when, they, when they're about to lose their feet, or die, or, or have heart failure or something. Now they want you to do something about it. And if you don't, now you're scared. We're going to label you with these names. We're going to shame you or whatever. Well, that's the inverse. You should be receiving the shame. You should be the one that's ashamed of what you turned yourself into. Not me. I don't care. Look at me. Like, bro, can I, can I stay? Look at me. Look at this body. I'm 178 pounds. I'm five foot nine. I don't worry about this shit. And there's no way you could ever shame me into thinking that I'm not, into, into thinking that there's something wrong with being a healthy looking athletic bill. Like, no. The problem's with you. You need to shut the hell up. You need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and fix this shit on your own. Because quite frankly, I'm tired of hearing the, the term fat phobia. Nobody is afraid of you unless you're falling rapidly from the sky and they don't have anywhere to go and they can't move before you fucking flatten their ass. Or unless you step on an elevator and there's already a few people on it. Then I'm, yeah, I'm kind of scared then. But if it's not a situation like that, nobody is a fat phobe. Nobody is fucking afraid of you. You need to get real. All right. Um... Let's see here. Courtesy of clickondetroit.com. I've been thinking about uh, kind of redoing the formula to give to make it easier to find topics to talk about in this shit. So this was like third base, second base back when I was a fucking Neanderthal and hadn't been doing this shit every day for like a while. But I think the first one is going to be like relevant, something local. And the second and third are escalate in terms of how big of a news story it is. So this is local in, uh, you know, Detroit which is around where I'm at now. Right now, I'm in Lake Oregon, as you can see all this nature and shit behind me. But, uh, yeah, courtesy of ClickOnDetroit.com, Megan Woods. Michigan State University will allow alcohol to be sold at sporting events. Alcohol sales could bring in $250,000 per game. The Michigan State University Board of Trustees has given the okay for alcohol to be sold at sporting events. That includes several venues, Spartan Stadium, Breslin Student Event Center, Munn Ice Arena, Old College Field, Secchia Stadium, and McLean Baseball Stadium.
excuse me. Next, the university has to apply for liquor licenses. The first beers could be poured as soon as the third week of the season. This comes a month after Governor, Governor Gretchen Whitmer signed legislation to allow alcohol to be sold at college sporting events and to make liquor to go permanent. Michigan State now joins 11 other universities in the Big Ten. Fuck off. The university's board of trustees had a special meeting at 8 a.m. on Wednesday, August 16th. It lasted 12 minutes and included one public comment, which was in support of the ordinance revision. Interim University President Teresa Woodruff said there is data from other Big Ten schools related to selling alcohol at games. A 50 percent reduction of arrests in the stadium at the University of Iowa. An 87 percent reduction of alcohol related incidents at games since the sale of alcohol at Penn State. Vice President of Student Life and Engagement Vinnie Gore said, Data from police and public safety departments at peer institutions within the Big Ten shows that there was not an increase in alcohol-related events when allowing guests to purchase alcohol during athletic events. Gore said with the license, they plan to sell alcohol 60 minutes before a game and cut off sales 10 minutes into the third quarter. Based on the numbers from other universities, they can make $250,000 a game. Local 4 reached out to Mothers Against Drunk Driving about the decision. Jennifer Dunn, chief development officer, said the reality is the NCAA allows this to happen. And our hope is that regardless of the venue, that wherever alcohol is sold, no person younger than 21 is allowed to drink. The University of Michigan. Wait, wait, wait. They got that wrong. That's not the University of Michigan. Oh, maybe they asked the University of Michigan, too, and they didn't say anything. But the article is originally about Michigan State. The University of Michigan has not commented on, does not decided on whether they will allow alcohol to be sold during Sporting events. All right, so, um, I mean, to me, this sounds like a bad idea. Doesn't seem like there's a situation where you put alcohol near a college and you don't increase the number of minors, underage people, drinking alcohol. And then they said they would start it, they would stop it 10 minutes before the start of the third uh, quarter. So, yeah, you get liquored up before halftime. And then you've got the remaining half of the game to sober up, to clean yourself up and not, you know, I guess be all drunk as you're driving out. But uh, I've been to a couple of sporting events and in my experience at sporting events around the beginning of unless the game is hotly contested, unless it's a close game where you can't really be sure it's not a blowout or it's not a boring event. Like most people are out of there by like the end of the third quarter. So, like, if it's a football game and you give somebody, what, like a half hour to sober up and you're not putting any kind of limit onto what they consume to make $250,000 a game and putting all uh, – it just seems like it's a lot more risk, you know, than there is reward. I know they used uh, Penn State and what other school, like the University of Iowa. I don't know. I don't remember. But they used a couple other schools and they said how the, the amount of crime has decreased or not crime. The amount of incidents in the stadium has decreased and they saw a 87 percent reduction in alcohol related events. But it's like. I don't think that necessarily correlates to anything. Like I don't think just because it worked in Penn State or wherever else that's going to do the same thing here. Like I just think selling like you don't have to be 21 to get into college. And they said they wanted to, like, make to-go uh, alcohol permanent. So that means somebody could just come up. If, 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 if to-go alcohol is, like, not the main way they're doing this, that means that somebody could walk up, just get some alcohol, and then hand it off to somebody else and be gone. Now, granted, that's that's how it is everywhere. Like, that, that possibility always exists. You're never going to completely alleviate every single way of getting alcohol into the hands of a minor. Hell, I was drinking when I was, I had a drink when I was 13. I won't say I was drinking because it was hard to come across, but I had definitely experienced alcohol at the age of 13. So it's not hard. I don't, I, I, I understand that they got their eyes on the dollar sign. Like this is a huge benefit in terms of the, the finances. But, like, I just don't see, like, if it's been going on all this time and, like, is, is the college hurting for money? Is Michigan State hurting for money? Like, for $250,000 a game, so you're looking to make a couple million dollars off alcohol sales based on some statistics that say, like, 
making alcohol legal, reduce or not legal, but selling it at the game, reduce alcohol related events. It's like, well, well, yeah, because now somebody could just run in the stall and like slam a beer or whatever. And you don't like actually catch the underage person with the alcohol. And if you know, hopefully they got designated drivers and they be in at least some degree responsible about this. But uh, I just don't just knowing me and how I was in college. I didn't fear alcohol because I hadn't really understood what kind of creature it was. I didn't understand. I didn't, I had to fuck around and find out when it came to alcohol. So I think a lot of these students up there, especially in the student section, like I remember going to a university of Michigan game once at the big house, you know, that stadium holds like a hundred thousand people. That stadium easily holds a hundred thousand people. And the student section was like a whole corner of that shit. So let's just say the student section was like maybe 15,000 15, because they don't have seats. They have benches so they can cram as many motherfuckers as they can fit. in. Let's just say half, 7,500 of them was drunk or have been, you know, drank to intoxication, not counting the remaining 85 to 90,000 people that could also be in that stadium. When they leave, this is. Uh, uh, a caravan of people in mass all leaving the stadium all jumping in vehicles and hopefully they don't live far from the stadium but this is just how i see it playing out in my mind like how do you how do you regulate this the way it needs to be regulated <laughs> like it's just, it 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 might work it could work but on to me on paper this sounds like a markedly absurd idea to like legalize the sale of alcohol at collegiate games in a college setting. Now, granted, I don't have any statistics or data on the demographics of people who actually go to these games. So maybe if it's mostly people over 21 coming to these games, it was like, well, if that's the case, why wasn't this shit done earlier? Why didn't you always have it this way? And one of the reasons would probably be due to the volume of youngsters and minors and teenagers and underage folk in the vicinity of direct sale to alcohol. So I just, me personally, I, I don't, I don't see the risk, the reward outweighing the risk here. I think if you weren't able to sell alcohol at these games before, you should keep it that way. Cause that's, that's obviously the better, the safer path to go where you have the less like the least likelihood of like alcohol related incidents or like, you know, just, just, it just, it just, Without without being more repetitive than I already am, I just don't see how this goes from like worse to better. Like I just feel like you're the the, the college ten stands to make millions of dollars off of this, but I just think it sets up more youth and more underage folk to get involved in the consumption of alcohol. I don't know how it was an eighty seven percent reduction. And the only thing that leads me to believe is like, if it was already banned, why was it already banned? Why would, why weren't you guys already doing this? Because you know the perils of alcohol and youth. So like, why does this not matter now for like two, is that the price? $250,000 to like, you know, substantially increase the risk of underage drinking. Even though you got all this, you're going to do all this to control it and do all this, blah, 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 all that. But yeah, like. I, me personally, I guess I'm just a skeptic. I don't see it working. I don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's a good idea just because it's going to make the college money. But, you know, it is what it is. More power to them. Fuck it. I'm not going to be going to no college games. I'm not going to be drinking anytime soon. And neither are my children or my, you know, children in college. So it doesn't really, like, affect me enough to give a personal damn. But that's my take on it. Courtesy of Euronews. Nobody to give credit on this. Um, okay. World Chess Federation bars transgender women from competing in women's events. The world's top chess federation has ruled that transgender women cannot compete in its official events for females until an assessment of gender change is made by its officials. The decision by Switzerland-based federation FIDE, FIDE, was published on Monday, has drawn criticism from advocacy groups and supporters of transgender rights. No shit. 
Fide said, and its member federations have increasingly received recognition requests from players who identify as transgender and that the participation of transgender women would depend on an analysis of individual cases that could take up to years. Quote, change of gender is a change that has a significant impact on a player's status and future eligibility to tournaments. Therefore, it can only be made. Oh, my God. Okay. Let's just stop this now because all that's mood. That's so annoying. Change of gender is a change that has a significant impact on a player's status and future eligibility to tournaments. Therefore, it can only be made if there is a relevant proof of the change provided, the Federation said. In the event that the gender was changed from a male to a female, the player has no right to participate in official five events for women until further five's decision is made. Holders of women's titles who change their gender from male to female. Excuse me, hold on. Yeah, from change their gender to male will see those titles abolished, the Federation said. Holders of women's titles who change their gender to male will see those titles abolished. Though with the possibility of a reinstatement if the person changes the gender back to a woman. If a player has changed the gender from a man into a woman, the previous titles, all the previous titles remain eligible, the Federation clarified. Wow. It acknowledged that such questions regarding transgender players were an evolving issue for chess and that further policy may need to be evolved in the future in line with research evidence. No one immediately responded to emails to top Federation officials and calls to the Federation's headquarters in Switzerland seeking further comment. Fight master and chess coach Yosha Iglesias criticized the move on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter saying the chess organization that published anti-trans regulations. Word of the decision comes as the Federation is hosting a World Cup event in Azerbaijan, which will feature top players such as number one ranked grandmaster Magnus Carlsen of Norway. The Federation has open competitions that will allow all players to take part, as well as specialized categories, such as for women, young players, and even computers. <laughs> That's crazy. They will let computers play chess before transgender people play chess. Interesting. Many sports involving intense physical activity, which chess does not, have been discussing how to formulate policies towards transgender athletes in recent years. The International Cycling, the International Cycling Unit, Union has joined governing bodies of track and field and swimming as top-tier Olympic sports, addressing the issue of transgender athletes and fairness in women's events. Last month, the Cycling Federation ruled that female transgender athletes who transitioned after male puberty will no longer be able to compete in women's races. So, look at that. Even chess is not on board with this bullshit. Now, you probably think like, well, what's the big deal about chess being being uh, like, what's the, what's the big problem with allowing or disallowing transgender people to compete in chess. Because the whole problem with trans women in women's sports was the physical aspect. And that's what I was thinking when I saw this. I'm like, damn, they can't play chess? Which, I mean, the point I've made in the past is that I, I think it's obvious in, in realms of physicality why you shouldn't put these people in here against women. There is no physicality in chess. It's all in the mind. And let me, let me, let me scroll back through this. It says, uh, they said something about like, if, if, a, if, a, if the holder of women's titles who change their gender would male to male would see those titles abolished. So if you're a woman and you transition to a man, then you're fucked. You lose that title because they don't want, I guess they consider the, the realm of female competition and the realm of male competition within the sport of chess to be sacred. So if you go from female to man, you lose it. If you go from male to woman, all the titles remain eligible. Is, uh, I, I don't, 
I can't say I quite understand that. Like, if there's no physical aspect involved, I just don't, I don't think it even needs to be acknowledged. Like, chess is a sport of the mind. It's a mental sport, you know? You got to think and you got to be strategic and all that. And if you're a male who thinks you're a woman, if you're a woman who thinks you're a male, I think you're, you're always born with that brain. You always have that brain. You've always, you know, whether you see, whether you have mental illness or not, like your gender is not relevant in, in the mind. So I don't, I, I understand from a sense of tradition why they want to keep things the way that they do, but I don't understand it anywhere else. Which makes me feel like it should it should just not it should not be discussed. Like if, if you're a chess player and you're transgender or whatever, I think you need to just align with whatever you were born with at birth and it doesn't need to be talked about in chess. Like I'm not gonna go and say like a female mind is more powerful than a male mind or a male mind is more more adept than a female mind or anything like that. Like it's, this is all mental. And like, I don't think mental capacity entails gender. Like the capability is to which you can, to what degree you can stress your mind or like have it, excuse me, have it ready for, for mental competition. I think escapes the boundaries of this whole gender ideology discussion. Now I'm not saying that the chess organization is wrong. Oh, this kid just fell off a bike behind me. I'm not saying that that's wrong, but it's, it's a take I haven't heard yet. And I do find it interesting to chew on mentally. Like I do, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very unique circumstance and it's one that does need to be addressed. But I don't understand the organization's logic to where, like, if you're a woman gone man, all your titles are gone. But if you're a man gone woman, we're just going to kind of suspend that until we figure out how we're going to make this. Like, if you're going to do something like that, you're better off just not even stepping into that. Don't don't even get into that. Because it's like. I just don't I don't see how this makes anything easier to understand how this gives any clarity how this benefits anybody transgender that wants to compete in chess like i just unless you're willing to concede that the male minds regarding chess are more potent and are more reliable per se than the female mind at chess unless you're willing to say that i don't think this makes a difference i think this should just you're either going to allow them or you're not. And if you're going to allow them, you need to allow it straight across the board. But it doesn't seem like the chess organization is going to do that. It's really confusing. Like, I haven't... I've always said, like, if you're going to... You know, if, if it was something like uh darts or, like, pool or, like, physical attributes don't necessarily entail into your into your potential skill regarding whatever it is, then they don't belong there. This is a sport of the mind. So I'm not going to say that transgender people don't belong in the sport of chess. However, that organization is going to have to figure out how they're going to, how they're going to reconcile acknowledging the differences between male, female, transgender, whatever. Like they got to, you know, I don't think it's fair to say that I don't think there are rules regarding it. Like, if you're a man and woman, we're going to suspend it. But if you're a woman to going to a male, that's done. Like, unless unless they're willing to admit some kind of bias amongst, you know, how they look at all of this, I don't think this is the right way to approach this one. I think they just need to suspend all transgender participants until they figure out how they're going to make it equal for them, you know? Either make a transgender division or, you know, force people to compete along the means of their biological uh, inception, how they what they were born as. And if they don't want to do that, then they don't compete. 
but to like make it to where like, oh, if a man goes to woman, we got to do some digging. But if a woman goes to man, it's just a rap on that shit. I don't, I don't think that's a good precedent to set. Seeing as how like sports league nowadays have to, or have, leagues of, of competition have to figure out how they're going to deal with this shit on a grand scale. So I'm not saying that the five, whatever they call, it, I'm not saying they're wrong, but I think before they, they, they need to find a solution, which is going to like solve this in one while, like this whole, if men do it and the women do it, I think that's a bad precedent to set for any other sports of the mind going forward that are going to have to, that are going to be faced with this gender ideology problem at some point. So I just thought it was interesting to see that chess had banned, you know, based on, you know, your biological genesis. I, I just thought it was weird, but I got to say, like, I, I probably got to chew on this one more because now that I'm thinking it through, like, this is probably the isolated incident and where I feel like what they're doing is tantamount to bullshit. Courtesy of CNN. Historian says teachers are required are being required to teach a lie about a massacre. Protesters marched against Florida's black history education standards that require lessons that include, quote, how slaves develop skill in which some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. CNN's Carlos Suarez reports on reports on the backlash. Let's listen. But the cruel reminders of Florida's black history, the destruction of the once thriving black town of Rosewood at the hands of a white mob, lynchings in Newberry and a massed unmarked grave in Okoe, where in 1920, two black men tried to vote. The offense considered so great that it led to the deaths of as many as 50 people. Most of them were black, two were white men. They killed two of their own. A painful racial past that some historians and educators believe Florida is trying to rewrite. Let the record reflect. These are the most robust standards in African-American history. Last month, the state's Board of Education approved new standards for teaching black history in order to comply with, quote, anti-woke policies led by Governor Ron DeSantis that limit how race is discussed in schools and businesses. The board now requires that events like the Okoe massacre to be taught as, quote, acts of violence perpetrated against and by African-Americans. A distinction historically. Dr. Marvin Dunn says is wrong. There was no black on white racial violence in Okoye. The state of Florida requires teachers to teach that lie. Dr. Dunn recently took three dozen teachers and staff from Miami-Dade Public Schools on what he calls his Teach the Truth tour with stops throughout Central Florida. It was painful to see our history being buried like that on purpose. For high school teacher Mark Riley, the trip was overwhelming. No, I've heard stories, but it's nothing like coming out here yourself and experiencing and seeing it for yourself. From high school to Sunday school, churches are also carrying the tradition of preserving black history. Dr. Tony Drayton is the pastor of the St. James Church of Riviera Beach, where he says black history has long been a part of his sermons and lessons for his young members. Five, ten minute uh, uh, short stories that's on his or her level. Dr. Drayton is also a part of the nonprofit Faith in Florida, a group that's created a black history toolkit. It's a resource featuring articles, books, and documentaries to help anyone learn more about the history of African Americans. The toolkit can be a, a game changer in teaching our history. It's that truth that parents, teachers, lawmakers, and activists demanded at a recent town hall near Miami, where the frustration was palpable when the discussion turned to another part of the new education standard that states, quote, slaves developed skills which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. Slavery was one of the most horrific, brutal, divisive, destructive, evil, experiences that this world has ever known. Straw man. Manny Diaz, Florida's commissioner of education, accepted an invitation to attend but did not show up, saying he was welcoming students back to school. Manny Diaz is a coward. Vice President Kamala Harris did come to Florida to speak out against the new standards. And she turned down an invitation from Governor DeSantis to have a debate about the new curriculum. 
There were no redeeming qualities of slavery. Oh, man. And so we reached out to the uh, we reached out to the Department of Education for comment on some of the criticisms surrounding the new standards, as well as the Education Commissioner's decision not to attend the town hall. However, we did not hear back. As for the teachers that we spent the weekend with in Central Florida, all of them said they do not plan to teach what they believe to be lies. Ay ay ay. Okay. Um. So yeah. Heard about this on Walsh. Um, if I'm not mistaken, what they said was they require lessons. Protesters marched against Florida's black history education standards that require lessons that include how slaves develop skill, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. And the response to that is there were no redeeming qualities about slavery. Well, if they took skills from whatever they did as slaves and use them for their benefit if there's no redeeming qualities about slavery which i would mostly agree with but like how how, how they use them for their benefit like if somebody learned how to garden as a slave they gained their freedom and then was able to grow crops and then you know start some kind of farm or like, you know, some type of crop gig as a result of skills they learned while they were a slave. Like just because the act of slavery itself is negative does not mean that there's no, if there's negative, it has to be some positive somewhere. This is just the, the, you know, yin and yang Taoism. Like one of the benefits, let me, let me word this carefully. Cause I, I need to, I need to say what I mean to me, what I say here, like, I'm not going to call it a benefit or a detriment. I'm just going to say one of the characteristics of black people during those times was a, a, a much stronger and much more innate and inherent sense of togetherness. The black family was stronger than ever during those times of slavery and, and, and civil unrest. During the civil rights movements, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Rosa Parks, during that time, more black people, there were more intact black families. There were men and women in the household with children. There was none of this, all this nonsense and all this, you know, back then the protest made sense. It was an active thing that people were suffering through, you know? And now to say that the schools are teaching lies, to say that some slaves benefited from skills they learned during slavery, and then you're ref to refute that, you say that there are no redeeming qualities of slavery, that is a textbook straw man. Nobody said that the qualities was redeeming. It just said they took a skill they learned and used it to their advantage. A skill they happened to acquire whilst enslaved. Who's saying that 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 makes slavery that, that slavery has redeeming qualities? Who said that? And I'm inclined to say that that is true. I can't provide an actual example right now of a of a slave or anybody that was enslaved who gained their freedom or acquired any skill during that time that they then used to their benefit. I don't have an, an example of that handy, but I know just from all the jobs I've worked, you know, from all the jobs I work, I've taken different skills. I've taken different, I was taking skills from living in Las Vegas that I could see myself using here. You know, skills that I acquired while I was homeless, survival skills, you know, in a different environment that I could definitely use here and I know I could survive off of them. So you're telling me it was wrong for me to go live in Las Vegas where there was no redeeming quality to, to being homeless? There was no redeeming quality to, to having to sink or swim? Like these people and this fucking rhetoric and all this, all this, 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 this demagoguery and all this just like arousal of emotions from trauma that a lot of these people do not currently suffer.
or parents or grandparents suffer. I guess it's a it's a contemporary error. And to be doing all this shit, protesting. Even that one little town, what, what town did they say? I don't even remember. Some town in Florida where they said they lied about the history. I've never even heard of that shit. You know, I went to school. I had social studies and history class. I never heard of that shit in Florida. That, that particular incident he's talking about. And if you're, if, if the refute that you have for slaves took some skills they acquired during slavery and used them for their benefit, if you're, if your rebuttal to that is there's no redeeming quality of slavery, that doesn't disprove anything. That's not even relevant to the initial statement. It's not relevant. As a matter of fact, this is a, it's a completely different discussion altogether. But this is the rhetoric that the left uses and that all these Kamala Harris, like, of all people, she should just not talk. Like, yeah, we got a black woman as a vice president. whoop de doo But she is one of the most incompetent, airheaded, just, just, she just needs to go away. Kamala Harris is, is just absolutely fucking foolish, man. She's just as foolish as the administration she works for. So anything she says, I don't give a damn about. I do not give a damn about anything Kamala Harris has to say. You see, when Governor Santos offered to, uh, Governor DeSantis offered to, uh, to engage in debate on her about the topic, she shrunk. She didn't want anything to do with it. Why? Because at least she's smart enough to, to, to take part in the discussions that she can win and avoid the discussions that she's going to lose. She's going to lose that debate because she's not that smart. She's not that smart. Every time she talks, the likelihood that she's going to say something dumb and irrelevant is, is exponential. I'm just so tired of hearing this, man. Like, I'm so tired of seeing black people just be just... I'll, I'm 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 gonna do a a, a webisode type deal. I'm a, I found this clip with Jesse Lee Peterson and this other black dude walking around wearing a train conductor hat, which I guess is supposed to be some type of fucking sign of reverence or rank within the black community or whatever. But he's just saying shit like, "Oh no, we're all enslaved. We're all enslaved." And it's like, who's enslaved? Who's enslaved? Not me. You you could be because you say we're all enslaved and then you just go on these emotional tirades about just just oh, oh and the black people and the white man took our land and the white man took our woman and you're just like what the fuck are you talking about bro like what are you saying like i feel like these people was like cryogenically frozen in the 50s and somebody woke them up like five six years ago and they just picked up where they left off like nothing has changed the only constant in life has changed it just it's it's a mix of of sadness and frustration to see these idiots running around here, nah, 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 nah. Uh, the white man, nah, whitey holding us back, and uh, uh, slavery, and and we ain't this, and we ain't that. This is all outrage. Why are these these angry ass black people everywhere, just angry about some shit that did not happen to them? It's like for fuck's sake, man, shut up, get get real, just get real, man. You didn't do no protesting. You didn't march in no streets. You didn't sing We Shall Overcome. You didn't go to no rallies. You ain't never had no sense of, you know, a motherfucker actively and openly trying to, like, rip your culture and family apart. Those days have long since diminished. You know? That kind of attitude has been, like, thrust it off to within the corners and crevices of society like just like i said earlier in the episode people are comparing being are, are linking systemic racism against blacks to people being fat overweight and someone else commenting on their weight and the truth is these people know they're full of shit and they don't want to hear the truth they don't want you to remind them that their entire ideology is flawed from the ground up and it's based on outdated information and outdated situations. Nothing's happening to these people. But we live in a time where in America, the culture benefits and rewards you 
for being a victim. The more of a victim you are, the more things that can be coming at. It's sickening. It's outright repulsive. It's nauseating. To see this shit over and over again. To just see people just snatch the low-hanging fruit. How kind of fucking idiot do you got to be to not to just hear this shit, not research it? Like, just, just look around you. Motherfuckers love to Google and Wikipedia shit so much. Google this shit. Wikipedia this shit. Look how many black millionaires it is nowadays. Who the fuck is still drinking from a particular water fountain? It's poor white people, too. You know? It's just, it's just, it's just, it's beyond old. That shit is it's just outright pathetic now. And I'm tired of seeing it. And I'll take whatever backlash comes as a result of it. Like, no, I'm, I, I don't. In my lifetime, I can't recall being oppressed. Like, I I rarely encounter something that can, like, I can rule out all other reasons for why it happened and just say, oh, this person was being racist. Like, that's so rare. That's so extremely rare. Like, it's, it's negligible to even mention. Like, I don't even need to, like, what? I can count the number of times on my hand where I've experienced direct racial fucking discrimination in my life it just hasn't happened to me so i'm just you know i just hope at some point we can regain a sense of clarity we can like you know it's becoming a part of our culture to sit here and talk about how everybody like robbed our culture over and over and over constantly all day long oh it's all our culture the white man this the white man that it's hackneyed it's played out shut the fuck up that's the show, everybody. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Stay tuned this weekend for the weekend report, three of nine. Uh, something I'm enjoying doing. It's really fun. I hope to make it a lot better. Uh, reaching, coming up on the third season of the podcast, it's going to be every 21 episodes. So you'll notice a change in the artwork. You'll notice a few things. Uh, been trying to stay on top of things, but between procrastinating and, uh, everything else, it gets a little bit difficult at times, but fret not. I got a lot of shit coming. Uh, hopefully within the next month, start getting some, uh, a- advertising budget, get this show out here, get it, uh, get it out to more ears and, you know, try to do something with this. So that being said, until next time, I'll let you guys.